Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, founder and president of Gen Next Wealth, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm. And today, we're jumping right back into our family month. The entire month of April has been dedicated to our families. And we want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for all the support that we've been getting from you and the feedback that we've been given about these different episodes or these different theme months that we've been doing. And then, you know what? I wanted to do this before I even got out any further and just give a shout out to all of our healthcare professionals that have been out there fighting, risking their lives to try to help us with this COVID-19 thing. We really appreciate you. We're praying for you, for your safety, as you guys are out there risking your lives and continuing to try to help us. So we are praying that for your safety and we're praying for your families and that this will come to an end very soon. With that, today's guest is Carlos Gomez. He will be referred to as Homie G for the rest of this interview. But Carlos, we were actually introduced by one of our mutual friends. Shout out to Jeff Dent, because I know Jeff's going to probably be listening to this. But Jeff shot me a text message that you need to have my boy Carlos on the show. He's like right up your alley. So you guys are in for a treat and welcoming Carlos Gomez to the show. Thanks for coming on, Carlos. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Yeah. So we're just going to jump right into you giving us a little bit of your background, homie G. I'm excited, man. I want to sit back and kind of enjoy this show myself. So give us a little bit about yourself. All right. So first of all, I'm the homie G, right? And where did that come from? Well, my last name's Gomez. You already mentioned my name. I've been an educator now for 20 years, basically since year one. Kids just started calling me homie G on the side, you know, just homie G this, homie G that. And at first I was like, nah, call me Mr. Gomez. You know, I'll be all professional about it. But then I'm like, hey, why not? Call me homie G. Go ahead. And it just stuck with me. And the reason I asked, why do you guys call me homie G? And they're like, because you tell it like it is. You tell it to us like it is. And we like that, you know, so kids appreciate being told the truth and and leveling with them. And they said, you know, a homie has got your back, but they don't just tell you what you want to hear all the time. They tell you what things are like, and then they let you kind of like decide what to do. That's why we want to call you homie G, because this is how you treat us. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go with it. The rest of my background, well, 10 years of those I spent as a high school assistant principal, two comprehensive high schools here in Southern California, urban environments, 10 years as a teacher. I'm a science teacher as well. Now I'm at middle school level, eighth grade. I also blog, personal finance and success, and I'm an author. And we're going to talk a lot about that, I guess, in this episode. Absolutely. We will be talking with our two-time author. That's not a small feat. You've written two books, not just one, two. And your focus is on the younger investors. So today's episode will be about teaching the next generation of investors. So I know that you have these two books. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the two books? I know one is Stock Market Investing for Minority Teens and a Success for Minority Teens and Their Friends. I had a class about two years ago. It was an elective they asked me to teach a class. It was a Latino male class because it was this program that our district kind of adopted to help Latino males. They asked me to teach the class because we had kids at our school 
that were selling things like candy, just making a business out of schooling. And, you know, as you know, Edco, that's against the instructor rules. I mean, we all appreciate the hustle, right? So one of the assistant principals came to me. She goes, you know, I know you have a background in this, you know, and I know you'd be good at teaching these boys how to really go about becoming legit investors in life. So can you please teach the class? And I'm like, okay, but you know what? I'm going to have carte blanche in terms of what I curriculum I want to cover. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Then I realized, man, these kids don't know a lick about money, right? And they have this total misconception about how to be successful in life. They don't have any other way of knowing that there's alternative pathways to success because we've been scripted all along since elementary, right? Go to school every day, work really hard, get good grades, go to college, and then hopefully you major in something that's going to produce not only stable employment for you for your future, but also a high paying job or whatever. And you know, these kids, I mean, they weren't hearing that, you know, they were in my class. A lot of them had social emotional problems and getting discipline problems. So they needed a lot more. They needed to understand that there was other ways to become successful in life. And then I started just to write. I go, look, there's no book out there for them on success and the strategies and the principles of success. And I'm an avid reader of success books myself. I mean, I have a library. I have over 20 something books just on the psychology of success, mindset. And I have, you know, favorite authors like Brian Tracy, Jack Canfield, other notable authors on the topic. And I just know a lot of these principles and I've embraced them myself and I lived them myself. And I said, let me tailor it to minority kids. So I started writing and I don't write pompous verbiage, whatever. I make sure that I hit them with my own life experiences coming up in Eastside San Jose and what I had to go through as an immigrant and some of the traumas I face in life, family traumas. Just hit them with reality, right? But at the same time, get them to understand through my writing, through the exercise I give them, that there's ways to overcome these traumas, racism, discrimination. Maybe you were abused at home and how to be successful in life. What is the 21st century approach to success that doesn't necessarily involve the lone pathway that these kids have been taught because they've only been taught one way? It's basically opening the door for them to have it in their mind that they too can succeed. You know, I made them my guinea pigs. They read some of my chapters in class and then I published it. And the next year I was making it part of the curriculum. And so it's interesting to me in a good way that here we have an educator saying that these kids are minority teens still need to be taught about success because they're not getting that in the regular educational curriculum. Exactly. So we can tell you If you want to be a dentist, this is what you need to do. If you want to be a doctor, this is what you need to do, which most of the kids that are coming from minority backgrounds probably aren't even looking at those as real jobs or looking at those as viable careers because the model of success hasn't been shown by someone else in our communities to be able to see that. And I'm not saying we don't have any black or Latino doctors, but it's just not something that you think about. I remember when I was going to school, there was this girl in high school. She was a black girl. And she was like, I want to go to Stanford. And I remember her saying that. And I thought to myself, there's no way you could. Stanford's not going to take you. And that was the mindset that we had. Now when you go to school, maybe I can go to, you know, locally go to Fresno State. And there's nothing wrong with Fresno State. There's nothing wrong with state schools, universities, any of that. But the mindset that I had was that Stanford wasn't for me. Yale wasn't for me. Princeton, there's no way, you know, I can't get into an Ivy League school. Let's go to Sac State. Let's go to some state school. or 
maybe I can get into a university. And that's kind of the mindset that I had as a minority team. Right. So you were on a limited mindset, you know, and a lot of us come up that way. You know, we have this limited mindset mentality. And I actually addressed the exact same scenario you just mentioned. I addressed it in one of the chapters in that book, because all of them, you know, I want to go to college. Sure. Okay. And then I say, what are your grades like? Oh, I got A's and B's. Okay. And I go, compared to who? And they're like, huh? Compared to who? Other kids at this school? Oh, well, let me break it down for you. There's about 10,000 high schools in this country. Each one will graduate a valedictorian. Okay, now you're in where? What city are we in, right? So these kids need to understand, yeah, you're good. Go ahead and be ambitious. But it's not enough for you to just be content with your grades you got. A lot of them stay content just because they got straight A's. And you got to talk to them. You got to sit them down and say, hey, you got straight A's and I'm proud of you for that. Nothing bad about that. Keep it up. You're doing great. But always remember that somewhere else in this country, there's someone else who also has straight A's and he was working harder than you. And remember, these positions into these Stanford's and into these Yale's and into these Ivy League schools, they're limited a lot more now today than when you and I were coming up, right? I mean, to get into these schools now, there's quotas. Once you fill them, you're done. You were in fewer opportunities because so many more kids are graduating high school these days and ready for college, I had to make sure that I talked to this one kid or whoever it was that I had that conversation with that, hey, yeah, that's great. But you know what? There's someone out there out hustling you. And that's the kind of mentality you got to have in life. You want to get to Stanford, you got to always imagine like, you know, like Kobe working in the gym, right? He was outworking every other NBA player. He was great already, but he's still putting in the work. That was my point on that. Absolutely. And so if you could tell us a little bit more about, you know, not giving away the books, because we'd like to make sure that people purchase these books. I know I'm going to be purchasing some for my kids so they can read that so they can hear someone else's voice other than dad. I think it reinforces what I've been trying to say. But without giving too much away from the books, if you wouldn't mind speaking about them a little bit, or do you want to just keep it broad, which is fine with me. I think, you know, people should read them. Yeah. So I talked about the success book. I mentioned why I really, what was the rationale? I targeted minorities because There's no books out there on success for them. I wanted to make sure that they had something to go to. And then the stock market book, two years later, I just published it this year, actually. Same thing. Awareness that our students, our kids aren't being taught anything about stock market investing. They might have a club. There's always a high school that has that teacher that wants to teach kids about stocks and stuff. And, you know, it's during lunch. But come on, how many Latinos and Black students are going to end up there, right? Not very many. Maybe one out of the majority you know, not being them, right? So I'm like, okay, how do I break this concepts down into a way that our tweens and teens can understand? So I took a similar approach. I related it to experiences and I worked really hard at breaking down the concepts, which are technical in nature. You know, stock market investing, it's not easy to pick up. You have to put in the hours. You have to read a lot. You have to understand the brand new language of terms. And it's like a new language, essentially. So I went at it little by little, one chapter at a time, starting from basics, what is a stock to the last chapter, we're talking about how the government and the Fed help investors that are in the stock market get rich at the expense of those that aren't in the stock market. So I mean, that's sophisticated stuff. We're talking QE, all the stuff that's happening now because of the coronavirus pandemic. Funny, it's in chapter 12 of my book. 
And I wrote it before this happened. We go from basic to how you're basically losing if you're not in stocks. And this goes for everybody out there that's listening. You are being scammed if you're not in the stock market. You just don't know it. If you're not in the stock market, you don't know how badly you're being left behind. It's a travesty. I had Dr. Loving on a couple of weeks ago, and he said, when I talked to my older clients, one of them had said something to me and they said, the reason why I love investing in the stock market is because the stock market, when I put my money in there, there's not a fund set up for black people or a fund set up for Latinos <laughs> or a fund set up for any yeah. minorities. They can't tell my money any different from anybody else's. So I put it in there with them and I make money because money is green. It doesn't have any other colors. And I'm able to do this and take advantage of what's going on in the stock market. So yeah, I think that is a point very well stated. I love hearing it come from you, right? Because you're not an advisor, you're an educator. And you're still saying this is something where people of color are losing because they're not taking advantage. They're not participating in it. It's the most democratic platform out there for us to make money beyond our jobs and our careers, right? And we talk about income inequality. That's insidious. I mean, incomes are so spread out. We're on the far lower end here. And then we talk about the wealth gap. That's insidious as well. It's even worse. How many assets do our people have compared to whites? It makes you want to cry sometimes. I think that starts from the lack of education. And this is why it's so important what you're doing, because like I found out about this and I'm just using my personal example. I found out about, you know, investing in stocks from going to work. I took an economics class because some of the stuff you're talking about in the book is definitely just from economics. But if you don't have like a business major, then you're probably not going to take that economics class and learn what you're talking about, like the money supply and what the Fed does and all that stuff and how that affects the overall market. And just those things, you know, I kind of lucked out and learned it. It was never taught. It was just something that I learned. And I think that there's so many other kids out here that look like you and I when we were kids and have no direction. So to change the complexion of wealth, that's what the goal of the show is. We're not ending now. I'm just saying that the changing the complexion of wealth is what, in so many words, your mission is as well, to teach these minority kids how to accumulate wealth. You got a blog called uh, Common Core Money, right? Right. So I started that in 2013. At first, it was just to teach teachers, believe it or not, about finances, because a lot of them were making typical mistakes relating to money. They weren't investing anything beyond their state teacher retirement pension. We go, oh, yeah, well, I'm set. I'm going to retire after 30 years. My pension's going to just provide for me. I'm good. I'm like, no, you know how much underfundedness there is in these pension systems? You're relying on your state teacher's pension? I mean, this is in 2013. And, you know, right after the Great Recession and even more underfunded at that point, we're at it again. I'm not relying on my state teacher's pension. So I started it to help teachers just understand how to invest their money, how to plan for retirement, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out that more and more people were reading it and they weren't just teachers. So I just started blogging about pretty much everything relating to money and focusing with my style of writing, you know, saying slang and terms and stuff like that. Just making sure that I got to all the audiences and it worked out really well. I've been on several other blogs that are out there as a guest. And I've been making some income off of that blog. People all the time, they email me, can you share this link on this article? Or can we do a guest post? And you know, I charge. That's part of my Common Core business is I charge for these things because my blog is visited. You know, I get some traffic off of that. And of course, there's people that are going to want to market whatever they got. So that's another stream of income for me. 
but I'm not just in it for the money. You know, I mean, I'm in it too. First and foremost, if you look at the blog and you look at the about page, it shows you my mission. My mission is to help minorities, especially African-Americans and Latinos, understand personal finance and learn what to do with their money and to aspire to be successful in life. That's the number one thing. I mean, talk about all the other gaps we got, right? The education when it comes to wealth acquisition in this country, that's the biggest gap we got. Wealthy people just know more about how to make every single hour of their day count for more money than we do. If you could just learn every single day a little bit, one hour, two hours on how to make your wealth grow, we're going to narrow that gap. And so with my blog, I hope to do that every time I post. Someone's out there reading it and learning how to go about doing that. In which the blog, I've looked at it. I've seen some of the videos. I've seen you and your wife on there, the kids and stuff. And that really gave me some insight into you and the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Money Magazine video? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we were on Money Magazine, April 2015. They did a story on my family. The piece was called Road to Wealth. And I think they were carrying, I don't know if they still do it on Money Magazine, those articles, Road to Wealth. But basically, they had one of your cronies, you know, a CPA or whatever, analyze our finances and make sure that we were over a million in terms of assets. And then once he dotted the I's or whatever, crossed the T's, sent it to the magazine. And then they went ahead and they, you know, what the goal of that article is to give the family advice on what to do next and stuff like that. So what should they do? Well, that was pretty fun. They brought in a crew later that decided to not only do the article, but also a video. It was cool. When it comes to the public education, you've actually developed something else. But talk to us a little bit about I don't know if we want to say where the public education system lacks, but just talk to us about your general overview of what your thoughts are on public education, because I know that's something you love to talk about. <laughs> oh, man, I hope I don't get in trouble. No, <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. We got some great schools out there. And for the most part, just getting the majority of our kids to graduate high school, there's a lot more graduating these days. And we should be grateful for that, right? I mean, a lot more kids are graduating high school these days than they were in the past. And that's a good thing. I'm not knocking public education down because I'm an educator. But we have so many kids that despite this, you know, they still go on to college, they drop out. There's a lot of attrition. And then the select few that graduate come out and maybe they got a decent career. And they might start, you know, 40 to 50K, 60K, depending where you are in the country, that might work for you. And then we got even a select fewer amount of kids that are minorities that get into those 90 to 100 or plus K roles right after college, right? I mean, that's even scarcer. That doesn't mean that they understand what to do with their money once they get it. I was like that. I graduated from UCSB with a master's of education. And, you know, I was ready to roll. I was like, okay, I'm going to be an educator. I'm going to build my pension, whatever. And then I'm going to retire. And I realized I'm in Silicon Valley, man. I was back in San Jose, this isn't enough. And I'm not content. I'm not content with my career and that being it for me. You know, my life isn't over. Luckily, I got exposed to that great book, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad in my early 20s. And that just blew me away. I'm like, I didn't know none of this. You know, I majored in science, just like you were saying. We're not taught it explicitly because we might have a major that doesn't deal with finance. I was in science. You know, I was like, okay, this is all brand new. And what Kiyosaki said is completely true about public education. You're not being taught how to create wealth. And so that's my only knock on public education because for the most part, it helps a lot of our kids do get, you know, skills and careers out there. I'm not going to knock it. There's a lot of high schools out there with trades programs now and 
a lot more than before when we were just pushing college, college and college. But now things are changing. A lot of them now are pushing career and technical education, which is great. But again, you could be a doctor making 200K or whatever, buying a yacht, just increasing your liabilities like there's no tomorrow. Why? Because, hey, I'm a highly paid professional, right? Why? Because they were never taught about wealth and how to build wealth. It's funny that you bring that up, right? Because you've read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've read it myself. And I've also seen when I was in banking for a long time, I was a bank manager for five years and banking career for 11. And my wife's still a bank manager now. But when you see people that people see, oh, this person has this nice car, they live in this big house and they have, you know, these things. And then I get to see how much those things cost when I was working at the bank. And I get to see the mismanagement of funds all the times. And it didn't matter how much money someone made. I've seen doctors that made a lot of money. We're talking half a million, $400,000 and see them spend every penny of the money that they make. No retirement account for themselves, no investments, no nothing. And that just tells me that it's another miseducation thing that they're not being educated on the proper ways to use the money that you have. Just a budget alone would help them so much. But there's no conscious understanding of cash inflows or outflows. I've seen so much fraud in those little places, like in doctor's offices specifically, or in those small, you know, attorney's offices and stuff like that because they don't know how much money's coming in. So when employees are stealing stuff from them, it could take years before they actually find it. And then when they do, they're so embarrassed about it. There's so many things that you're just not taught. Like you're taught how to be a doctor. doesn't mean you know how to own a business, even in the financial advisors. Like you can be a financial advisor, but there's a difference between being a financial advisor and being a business owner. All of those things you're saying about public education are very, very true. But then I think it comes down to the family. Like when we're talking about teaching our next generation of investors, how do we get to the parents? And this isn't a question that I had on here, but I know you're targeting minority youth, but is there any communication with the parents on what they can be doing? Because the whole theme of it is about the family today. And I wanted to make sure that we can give some nuggets to the parents too, because I think that there's a lot of parents that don't know the stuff that they're in these books for the teens. Exactly. No, and that's an excellent point. What I got to say to parents is, you got to be leaving a legacy of instilling in your kids the value of a financial education. And if you're not living the model yourself, if you're not modeling it by maybe being on YouTube and watching videos and making sure the kids see you, you know, watching these, if you're not trying to grow yourself, you're not talking the talk that you learn from these videos or from books or whatever with your kids, and you're not sharing how much you've grown in terms of maybe your money mastery, then it's just not going to happen. You know, you can't leave it up to schools. Teachers don't know. I mean, they don't know. They're just professionals. It's your responsibility to first and foremost, instill in your kids the value of a financial education. And then it's also a part of your responsibility to model it, to live it. Don't just talk, you know, walk the walk and grow as the person because You only have one life, you know, and you want to leave a legacy for your children. If you can't buy an asset because maybe you can't get into a personal residence, which that's another story, whether or not it's an asset, but at least by the time you're going to pass, whatever, put it down in a will or trust and leave it behind. Now your kids got something to build on. The least you could do is instill in them the value of learning, especially when it comes to financial literacy. Yeah, you're exactly right on that. And as parents, I'll say this. Don't be afraid to say you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. 
this is a great opportunity to learn with your kids. If you pick up one of these two books we have here, or even, you know, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which will really put things in perspective for you. Between these three books, I think it would be great for you to have your kids read these books. My kids are definitely going to read them. I'm going to read them myself too, because I just want to know. And when I did read the first chapters of these books, what I did find is you wrote the book as if we're having a conversation. Like I met you somewhere and you're talking to me and that's how the book reads. And so it makes it a very easy read for people because you always hear people start reading books and they never finish them because they just don't. But this is one that you can read cover to cover without struggling and understanding. And Homie G does a great job of explaining stuff. I think you touched on this already, but I want to just make sure that I give you every opportunity to exhaust your thoughts on success and money. Do you have anything else? I'm sure you do. But is there anything else you want to share as it pertains to success and money? Go out there and if you're struggling, if you're trying to make ends meet, never neglect your financial education. Right now, everybody wants to retreat and retract because we're in the middle of this pandemic. But if you have the right mindset, you don't see this as a time to retract and go back and be okay with being idle because you know what, we're all at home or whatever. No, this is your opportunity to reinvent yourself right now. Reinvent yourself. You got more time than ever probably in some cases. You could be reading, you could be watching video. It's so accessible these days. When you and I were coming up in the hood or whatever, the only white person I knew was the landlord <laughs> and then my teachers. Mm-hmm. Landlord and my teachers. That was it. We had to go to the library to get just normal textbooks because, you know, our school sent us there. And there weren't courses on Udemy. There weren't courses for free all over the internet. There weren't all of these different platforms just giving you stuff, giving you information. And we need to start taking advantage of this and making sure that every single day we're picking up something new, a new strategy, a new skill, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you want to start a business, whether you want to improve your job prospects, your career, whatever. Use what's out there and don't waste time. Don't be idle. Keep moving forward despite all of the challenges and obstacles that come your way. You know, have the blinders on like I do when it comes to things that are out there that are challenges. I mean, I see those things, but I'm not going to obsess about them. And some of those things I talk about in my book, racism, for example, discrimination. Did I face it? Yes. Am I aware that that stuff's going to be before me forever? Yes. I'm not obsessing about it as I was as a teenager. I'm not obsessing. I'm not looking for it on video, movies or whatever and saying, ha, there it is. I got a laser focus on what's in front of me. And that's what we all have to do. We have to Keep focused. I know there's other distractions, but stay on the path and stay focused. Exactly. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. And I wanted to get into these questions with you. I love when every guest answers them. I just want to hear what you got to say on this. So what motivates and inspires you to continue to grow? You know what? We're going to back up. I want to back up a little bit because you didn't talk anything about the real estate investments that you've been able to get into. If we can touch on that a little bit, because I know you really like that. And when you look at the topics that are in your blog, the first thing that is on there is real estate. And we didn't even talk about that. After Rich Dad Poor Dad back in 2001, when I was a first year teacher, I'm like, holy crap, I don't got any assets. I had just bought a house or whatever in San Jose. I didn't have any other assets. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? Right. I kept improving my income by becoming an administrator by the age of 28. Then I moved to SoCal. So I was making 100 something here in SoCal. And I said, okay, now that I got this extra income, my credit's great. It's time to 
start acquiring assets. So I luckily came across a company here in my neck of the woods who buys houses, flips them, whatever, spruces them all up and sells them turnkey. So it's just a turnkey company. And I went ahead. It was right after the Great Recession unfolded. I was making my income still because I wasn't unemployed. You see, that kind of gave me an advantage. A lot of people lost their jobs, but we educators, we stayed in our jobs. So making that extra money, plus I had just gotten a divorce from my first marriage and I lived in a five-bedroom house. I was here alone. I'm like, well, skip that. I'm going to go ahead and get roommates and have them pay for three-fourths or whatever of my mortgage here. So that now it's called house hacking. <laughs> I didn't know what it was called back then, right? I took that money, plopped it into the stock market, and I was just making a kill on the stock market. So I'm just amplifying these returns, right? And then I was taking these proceeds from the stock market and then buying more rentals. So I bought one, then I bought another, bought another, third, and not paying for it outright. No, no, no. You don't ever want to plop that much money. You want to use leverage. So I was doing conventional loans with my credit and all that. Banks are just happy to give me money. I'm like, okay, give me 80%, please. I'll take it. Uh, and so, you know, it was just putting down 20% on each of these using leverage. And then I bought three within three years or something. And I just bought my fourth property last year. Similarly, I refinanced one of my rentals and I put it down as a down payment on another. And I'm doing this with out-of-state rentals. So not here in California because the cash flow is better out-of-state. The area that I'm in is Tennessee. And I'm not done doing that. I mean, I'm still, I'm refinancing another rental right now. And I'm looking to acquire a fifth property conventionally. Are there other ways? Of course. Are there people out there who are flippers and who are listening to me and say, oh, that's not being a real estate investor or whatever. Be a real estate investor. You need to have creative financing. You need to use other people's money entirely. Okay, yeah, I get all that. I get all that. But that's not my passion. I'm an educator. My passion is helping teens, helping people, right? But I still going to invest. I'm still going to buy assets. You know, I'm not going to say, okay, just because I'm not doing it full time, I'm not going to do it the way I can. So I'm still all about that. I'm still trying to acquire more because I want to leave a legacy behind for my children. You know, I want my children to build on it. Next up is to make sure that my kids understand that it's their job to take this trust with these properties and to build the Gomez legacy, right? And to keep at it. Because if we don't, as people, we'll constantly be under this wealth gap, right? The burden of this wealth gap. That's what I say to parents out there. Build on whatever you got, instilling your children that it's their responsibility to make it even better, to grow it, to grow that wealth for their family, for their name. And that's what the wealthy are doing. They do that naturally. And we resent them for that sometimes, but that's more power to them because they know how to do it and their kids are going to do it. Sure, there's people that squander their wealth and they always have the one kid who's going to go out there, mess it all up. But we're not even at that point yet, man. I mean, not all of us, right? three, four generations down. I mean, come on. It's one of those things, like I want to be able to have the opportunity for the great-grandkids or great-great-great-grandkids that I may never meet for them to know that great-grandfather, Miles Mattingly, left them a little something. We don't want to leave debt. We want to leave a legacy. And I think what you're doing is very, very important. People being able to hear you say that, yes, I am a teacher. Yes, I have a regular job. I did go to school. I did get my degree. But that is not the only vehicle that I'm using to accumulate wealth. So I love to hear stories like this. And I think it's good for the listeners to hear them and for other kids to hear them and for parents to hear them and for people to change that mindset so we can get out of that mindset of scarcity that I was in for a long time and get to that mindset of abundance. 
And with that, like I wanted to jump into those questions. Like I said, this is the changing the complexion of wealth portion of the podcast. What motivates you and inspires you to grow? Number one is the immigrant hustle. I was born in Mexico. I came here as a what we call a voluntary minority, right? My mom and brought my sister to California when my dad was already in California at the time. We crossed the border early 1980s. And, you know, being in poverty, that really affected me. And definitely, I didn't want to end up a poor person in my life. So that immigrant hustle is strong. (laughs) Let me tell you, man, it is really strong. There is a unique difference between the immigrant experience and the hustle and the involuntary minority hustle, which is, you know, you're born here as a minority. I mean, we could go on about that sociology wise, but I'm not going to. But just being an immigrant and wanting to set a good example, I already feel like I won the lottery just being here in this country versus where I could have been in Mexico and wanting to do right by immigrants and wanting to do right by my students and my family. That's what motivates me. I love it. I love it. Do you think that education plays a big role in wealth building? Oh, come on. We've already you can't <laughs> hit me up with a different question, of course, but not the traditional education. There's certainly a little bit of a correlation in this, mostly when it comes to income, but not wealth. I mean, you might build wealth because like you did, you acquired some additional skill sets after college or you actually majored in finance. So that was your thing. But others didn't. And like me, I had to acquire it. But had I not stepped into that book, who knows? I would have just probably been teaching every year and being content and griping or whatever. But wealth education, yes. So if you could offer a piece of advice for our listeners, some parting gifts, if you will, what would that be? Just work on yourself. Work on yourself constantly. Rest on your laurels. If you're achieved and you're accomplished, why stop? I'm not saying kill yourself over it. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're here. You're on earth. Death is going to happen. Sure. But do you want to seriously leave something on the table? Do you want to have regrets? I don't think so, right? So work and serve people if you can. You know, be wealthy, which is your responsibility, by the way. You might not agree, but it is your responsibility to become wealthy in this life. Use that wealth then to help your community. Use that wealth to help others out there. And that's the number one reason to be wealthy is to help others. I appreciate it, man. I think that this has been incredible. I've really enjoyed it. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. If people have enjoyed this conversation and want to get more of Homie G, what social medias are you active on and where can people get more? Yeah, so my actual Google name is c.osvaldogomez. They can Google me. They'll find all that Google has on me. My Twitter is at c.osvaldogomez. And then I got a Facebook too, Teacher Homie G and Common Core Monies on Facebook. I got a YouTube channel for the teens too. It's called Teacher Homie G. And that's kind of where I teach them some things that are outside of the school day, right? I teach them about life and I teach them about relationships and things that, you know, that they're just not going to get in school. And that's just my personal channel where I help teens out. I'm not trying to get a million subscribers or anything like that. If a teen comes to me, believe it or not, most of those videos are because teens have asked me after class, hey, homie G, can you do a video on how to get a date? Can you do a video on how to make up with my girlfriend? Because I really need it. How do I come out to my mom and dad, you know, I want to come out to them. They confide in me, dude. You know, and I don't put them on black. Obviously, I don't share names, but I know that they need this additional advice and counseling. And they might not be comfortable going to other teachers or to a counselor or to their parents. So I put these videos out there for them. That's on YouTube, Teacher Homie G. 
teacher homie G. And we will put links to your books in the show notes so that people can find these books. And I think you should be buying these books for your kids. They're at home anyway. So let's give them something to learn <laughs> right. and improve themselves. I always say that there's only two things that you can do in life. You're growing or you're dying. What you do is up to you. Once again, thank you for coming on. It's been an honor. And I look forward to working with you again. I think we can collaborate on some other things and really get some information. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And thank you to your audience. If they need anything, I got my email on the blog too, man. I do not shy away from taking emails. I'm not charging anybody for anything. Hey, what do I do? I got this money. Hit me up. You know, I got my email posted on the blog. So if you need to hit me up. Awesome. Thank you, homie G. This is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time, be safe. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP. To support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time, 